So we're starting a little differently this week, guys. We have some advice and a message of hope. If you ever feel like you're bad at adulting, or you have those embarrassing memories that keep you from sleeping at three o'clock in the morning, or you've ever done something stupid to win the heart of somebody you liked, don't worry, take a breath and head on over to Akadi's Instagram. It really does do wonders for the self-esteem. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian uh, Anglo pod, guys. As always, my name is Rory, and I'm joined by my good friend. Tommy, welcome, guys. We are going to cover all of that story very soon. But cope with me as I plug you to our different social media profiles. Give us a follow on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod, on Instagram at AngloItalianPod, and why don't you also follow our sponsor, ding, at the Sports Club Maps? You can find them both on Twitter and on Instagram. Rory, before we dive into the Wanda Mauro business, how have you been? I've been good. I have been pretty good. Um, another week down, I found out that we get a Monday off in a few weeks, which is nice for All Saints Day. My students told me, and I was like, whew, three-day weekend. So that was a nice little boost. And that's also the day after my birthday, so it means that we can go hard on my birthday. Man, night. that's perfect. Oh my God, it's all falling into place. It's always been like that for me, man. Every year, the day after my birthday, I can rest in bed hungover and nobody's bothering me because it's a national holiday. Are you going to ask wow, me? Wow, what? How... I tell you, that is such a gift from God. I love that. I know, yeah. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> um, since you're asking me, I've been uh, good. Oh, sorry, well. Tommy. And how are you? I'm really bad at this conversation, Milan. Guys, how are you, the, Tommy? If you, my voice is just recovering from a crazy Tuesday night at the mm. San Siro. It was so much fun. We're going to talk about it later. We were there watching Inter Sheriff. Um, quite a lot of banter. Quite a lot of, of embarrassing moments. But in the end, I think I think we we. I, well, well, we'll tell you more later. We'll tell you more later. But the first thing that we need to discuss is everything that is going on between Vandanara and Mauricardi. And ladies and gentlemen, I've got some intel. It's not as hot as you might imagine, but let's say that I know a person that I may work with and they may be above me um, as a position in the workplace, but they personally know one of the two people involved and they got to know that basically this whole breakup thing is a, a big overreaction from Vandanara. Would you ever guess that she's the type of woman that overreacts, Rory? No, I, I tell you what, there was no part of me that thought that this would all be an overreaction from Wanda. Who could have guessed it? Who could have guessed it? Look, we, I think both of them probably thrive off the drama. I think they both mm -hmm. need the drama, right? Especially Wanda. I think Wanda lives for the drama. Well, what I heard was basically that uh, what I was told is that Icardi was flirting a little bit with this uh, Argentinian model. Um, and uh, they, she simply asked, simply, she's, he's a married man with a family, but she told him, <laughs> I would like to meet up with you in a place where people don't recognize you. I don't know what Mauricardi texted back, but apparently Vandanara got his husband's phone. It's one of those happy couples that have to steal each other's phone. <laughs> yeah, she yeah. read she read these messages. She packed their bags, got the kids, flew back to Milan, proceeded to remove... And this is... Man, this is so childish. Yeah. Proceeded to remove all of the Instagram pictures that she had with her 
husband, Mau Riccardi, which, by the way, are over a thousand pictures. So whoever did that, whoever is uh, managing her social oh, media accounts. Oh, that poor employee having to, for hours, just right-click, delete, right-click, delete, <laughs> right-click, delete for like five hours. Fuck, you know. And then Mauro, well, I let you, I let you tell what Mauro Cardi did, which is even more childish, I think. This is like honestly, and when I saw it, I was like, oh, you know, you have like I kind of referenced at the beginning, you have those embarrassing things that you've like in front of people, you've said something to somebody you liked, or and you're like, oh god, like, and it, it just that memory stays with you. Now imagine being world famous and everybody can watch you do that kind of pathetic or stupid thing. Well, Mauro has stepped up and he has removed everyone he follows except Wanda. Now, this is the thing. Like, dude, I know in 2021 you cannot say these things, but I'm going to say it anyways because I feel like... (laughs) Grow some fucking balls, dude. You know that you are not in the wrong. You were Okay, you were flirting with somebody, and that's you shouldn't do it as a married man. But if you haven't cheated on, 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 on her, why are you acting like an absolute puppy like she's calling you she's sending you a message and you're obeying right away wiggling your tail like removing everybody you follow it's only her and every day he's been posting pictures with ridiculous romantic love songs from argentina (laughs) writing shit like you're the only woman i've ever loved i want to be with you forever and all that type of crap while vandanara seems to be moving on and minding her own business but, but I, I would also, thing... yeah, I don't know, I, we're not getting into like a relationship part, but I would also say that like... <laughs> it's great uh, though, guys. Right? You, can... you have to admit it's great. It's fucking great. But the best thing about everything, about all this story is Maxi Lopez, Vandanara's <laughs> ex-husband, who was cheated, uh, he, he claims he was cheated uh, on by Vandanara with Icardi and he accused Dolphin Icardi of sort of kidnapping his kids. He simply posted a poolside selfie with a question for his followers. Does karma exist? Yes or no? And to see the level of engagement, 99% of people answered, <laughs> yes, it does. I'm just like, right, guys, I promise this is over. This bit is we're over. Done. We're, done. No, we're, we're done. done. But you need to know that Rory and I have been absolutely loving this. And also, yeah. Mauricardi then told Pochettino and all of the PSG staff, I cannot play this week's Champions League game because of personal problems. I cannot go in the pitch. Like My, my mind is elsewhere right now. Poor Mauro. I really feel bad for you. Not really. You know, all the, you, know, you know all the hassle I was talking about that he comes with? This is it. This is the hassle that he drags with him bloody everywhere. And it's genuinely ruining his career. Like, oh, yeah, it's it is. genuinely ruining his career. It's insane. And he's not even in the position of saying, I'm going to walk away from this relationship because I feel like he's not the type of guy that can tie his shoelaces without any supervision from Wanda. <laughs> yeah. But talking about football today... We are going to talk about, of course, the Champions League week. We are three games. We're halfway through the group stage. We're going to discuss that. And then, of course, we're going to preview these weekend's Serie A and Premier League games. Rory, shall we jump to the Euro review? Let's go. And here we are up in the blimp for the Euro review. And it is Champions League time. We, As Tommy said, we were lucky enough to go and watch one of the games this week, which we are going to get onto, but some interesting results halfway through. Tommy, how are you feeling about the Champions League so far? 
Well, I think there are some pretty interesting stats to analyze, and uh, there are some teams that have definitely underperformed, some teams that have overperformed. One, namely, hint, hint, they come from the Netherlands, and I think it's super tight to support them. But also there have been some key players that have really made the headlines and some very, very good games. Hint, hint, Old Trafford, that was a good one. Mm. So what do you want to do, Rory? Should we start from our experience at the San Siro the other night? Let's do it. I want to talk about that night. I kind of still vaguely remember it, and I'm still recovering from it. But what a night, Tommy. I put a thing up on Twitter, and I said, I can't believe that we're like, you know, like the the height of lockdown when nothing was going on. All I was thinking was, I just want to go and watch football in San Siro. I just want to go and watch football in San Siro. And to finally be there again on a Champions League. like, Like, I know we went to a Serie A game, but being there for a night game for Champions League, it just, I had this realization of like, oh, thank God we can do this again. It was amazing. No, it was super fun. It was super fun. Um, quickly, we just, I mean, we were in line to get into the stadium. We were having some beers. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, we bumped into a friend of ours that we hadn't seen in like 10 years, just there in line to go to the stadium. Turns out our seats were very close to each other. So we ended up watching the game together. Uh, the thing is that we didn't, uh, uh, we didn't, we, we weren't quick enough to purchase the tickets uh, in the uh, Curva sector where we usually go, and that's a pretty free sector where you can sing, you can insult the ref, you can use all kind of vocabulary and language that you want, you can drink beer, a lot of beer, you can be loud, you can do whatever you want. This time we were on the opposite side, right below the Moldovan fans, and. Uh, Already for me, it was strange because we had to sit down and I haven't mm-hmm. properly sat down at a football game for 90 minutes in it. I think I've never done that. So right away, I'm kind of, you know, kind of like squeezed in between people and I'm wondering, is this going to be like that for 90 minutes? Yes, it did. Um, but then it was kind of funny because I think at first we were very worried about the language. We were very worried about the drinking and everything. But I feel like in the end, the people around us understood that we were kind of in the wrong sector. We kind of became, (laughs) as I usually do when I drink a little bit, I made sure that I met everybody around us. I became friends with everybody. There were some people from the Netherlands. They were very nice. We also high-fived at one uh, uh, one of the goals. Let's say it could have been worse. And in the end, it was a great experience. I had so much fun. It was beautiful. Great win. Super important win. Very emphatic. Um, What do you think about the actual game, Rory? Yeah, well, I was just going to quickly say, that's your, like, uh, I've experienced football in Italy. That's your first sample of what football's like in England when you have to sit down for 90 minutes. But um, I think the, the game was, I think it was a statement from Inter. As much of it as it's, like, also a bit of a routine win, like, because it's a team they're expected to beat, it's a team that people thought they shouldn't struggle against. I think it's still a statement from Inter because I think that game, if it's, like, a year ago, two years ago, into potentially drop two points or it's a loss. I think this is still a statement from Inter. I think it was a really professional performance. Apart from the free kick, Sheriff didn't really offer too much. In the early stages, they had a few counter-attacks where we thought, oh, they might be dangerous. But then the second Inter got the goal, they kind of controlled the game. The free kick was beautiful, but that was the only real chance I remember them having. Um, and I think Inter just saw it out comfortably in the end. And um, it's a big step for both Inzaghi and for Inter as a team. And I think we were talking about it at the game because with Juve coming up this weekend, if you don't get a positive result there, all of a sudden that weighs heavy on the squad. So I think even though it was a routine win, in inverted commas, it's a big win. 
I agree with you. It was an important win. It was a must win. And we know that Mm -hmm. when facing a must win, Inter usually don't win. So it was pretty good to see that. The group is very compact. Sheriff are still first, followed by Real Madrid, Inter, and then Shakhtar last. The next game we're going to play is going to be in Moldova against the Sheriff. I like the team performance. The goal... It was a beautiful free kick. I'm mm-hmm. not even going to... Uh, Andanovic could have done slightly better, but hey, he dived at least. So <laughs> let's not ask for too much. He even got a touch on it, which was great. I love the reaction of the team and Vidal finally performing like Vidal should. Mm-hmm. He had an assist. He had a goal. Also, Zeko had a beautiful, beautiful assist. He kind of returned the favor to Vidal. Yeah. A beautiful ball towards Vidal. That was a tough goal to score for the Chilean. And then, in the end, De Vrij scoring his first ever Champions League goal for a final 3-1 win. As you said, we have uh, the next game is huge in Serie A uh, against Juventus. Juventus are picking up form. We're going to talk about them as well. But it's a super important result. And if we get a win this Sunday, I think the morale is going to be very, very high. Um, I think Inter Milan are going to go through to the knockout stage. I'm pretty sure about that. And what you heard in the background... You don't want to jinx it, Tommy. You don't want to jinx it. No, I don't know. I heard your dog sneezing and I was just like, I'll I'll just say it. I'll just say it. (laughs) (laughs) She's always bloody making noise. There we go. Right, she'll be quiet now. She's staring at me like I've upset her. Talking about interest group, one of the biggest disappointments to me in this Champions League has been the Zerbi's Shakhtar Donetsk. They are last in the group stage and they had a woeful game against Real Madrid. I have to say that Real Madrid were on a, a night, on a, they were on one that night. Incredible all around. Vinicius Jr., could he be the best dribbler in Europe at the moment, Rory? Well, I think we're going to get on to the only player who I think could challenge him. But I think, and we'll, I'll reveal that later, so carry on listening. Um, but I think, yeah, you definitely have a... I think that's a, that's a decent shout. We've talked about him before, and I, or I've always said I love how direct he is. I enjoy how, like, whenever he gets the ball, his only thought is to get to goal and take a player on. So I think he's a player that, when he first came to Real Madrid, I kind of wondered what the hype was about. Um, but I'm slowly starting to see more and more just how good that guy is. But for De Zerbi, he's having a bit of a rough time in general because Shakhtar, a team that usually don't walk the Ukrainian league, but they win it nine times out of 10 are currently three points behind Dinamo Kiev. So it seems like he's having a bit of a rough start at Shakhtar. And to be honest, it is quite a tough group having to play Inter and Real Madrid. And because Sheriff have been such a surprise package as well. However, I have to say zero goals scored in three games, not Mm. even against uh, Sheriff. I mean, Shakhtar Donetsk are a good team. They're a pretty good team. They're a competitive team. And uh, last year, they went through uh, together with Real Madrid. So this is definitely very bad. Seven goals against, zero goals scored. They're sitting at one point. Sheriff are at six, Real Madrid at six, Inter at four, and they're last. Um, I think the next game is going to be fundamental for them, but it's against Mm -hmm. Real Madrid. And even if it's at home, it's going to be really, really tough for them to overcome that um we shall see but i do think halfway through the group stage for what i've seen i think inter milan and real madrid are the teams that deserve to go through the sheriff has been an incredible story it's been very pretty to watch and everything but i think they've hit especially sebastian Mm -hmm. till he scored at the bernabeu he scored at the san siro 
I mean, what an incredible uh, UCL campaign. I don't think they can ask much more than this from this group. No, well, that's it, exactly. And again, we said it before the game. I said, I think that it was going to be a case of like after the Lord Mayor's show for Sheriff, like they had that huge, huge win in, in Madrid. I didn't think they were going to be able to follow that up. I think that was their like, right, we're here. That's their statement win. And then now, look, they'll get Europa League and they'll be very happy with that to go into the knockout rounds of the Europa League um, and potentially have a chance of progressing quite far because we've seen how effective a team they are. As we said, at the beginning of the game against Inter, their counterattacks were very dangerous. And when it was nil-nil, we were like, oh, shit, they're making better chances, you know? Like, one of these could go in. So I think we know how dangerous they can be. And for that till, he's going to be snapped up by someone else now. Because for Luxembourg, he's been impressing as well in the Nations League. And now on the biggest stage, I think there's going to be other clubs looking for him because look what he's done now. Like you said, he scored at the Bernabeu, he scored at the San Siro. He's been impressing for Luxembourg in the Nations League. And I think this player, there, there will be clubs thinking, okay, let's see what he's about. Is he worth getting? Um, but I think there's a few players as well. Cristiano, the left-back for them, has been very good as well. So, you know... It's still a pretty good campaign for Sheriff, right? Cherry on top for our Tuesday night at the San Siro. The big screen showing the result for Porto, AC Milan. The stadium started jumping. Who doesn't jump? Is it black and red? AC Milan, zero points in the group stage. Uh, three goals for, six goals against. They lose at Porto, which was the easiest, we could say, game that mm-hmm. they were going to face in the group stage. I have to say AC Milan have been a bit unlucky, but the game against Porto, I didn't watch it. I read about it. I watched the highlights, and it was woeful. In the end, uh, Porto had like 26 shots, I believe, and AC Milan had a total of four. So that means that something is not going the right way. Of course, we've already discussed the fact that AC Milan are facing a lot of injuries, um, but that is not an excuse for for underperforming so much at Porto in the easiest game of easiest in inverted commas game of the group stage. What do you think, Rory? Well, this is we said it. I think in the episode when we were kind of reviewing the groups and kind of or previewing the groups that this was a difficult group and that every every game was going to be hard and that's what Milan have discovered that yeah you can't sleep in this competition and especially when the other teams are Liverpool, Atletico and Porto you have to make sure you turn up against Porto you have to make sure that you are there to beat the lowest ranked team because you're not going to get anything from the other two so I think it's been a massively disappointing um, campaign so far for Milan. It's not over, but if Porto get Europa League ahead of them, that's pretty bad. Oh, that that would be that would be pretty bad. And uh, again, we can discuss it in another episode. I hate how some Italian, a lot of Italian supporters say it might as well be good to not to finish fourth in the group stage, so we can focus solely on the league. Don't you com- don't you fight to compete at the top stage of European football? I really don't like that type of narrative. I can understand it at times. Um, I haven't heard it much from AC Milan. I've heard it, however, from some pundits on television. They were like, mm. if I were AC Milan, I would stop focusing on the Champions League. But how can you when you're not mathematically out? I think it's your obligation to try and go through. 
No, well, yeah, definitely. They're not even like, it's not over. You've still got half your games left. Like, it's not like you've got one game left. You've got half your games left. You need to keep fighting. And also, these are the same people that will moan at clubs for not being in European competition. And then when they get into European competition, they dismiss the European competition that they're in. It seems really bizarre to me. Like, for me, you should want to be in as many competitions as possible and you should want to win all those competitions. That's the point of the sport. True, true. Agreed. Let's say to AC Milan's defense, it's not an easy group. And in that group, there might as well be one of the main uh, competitors to win it all at the end of the season. We're talking about Liverpool. I was so impressed. Well, number one with Mohamed Salah. He's the first player in Liverpool history to score in nine consecutive UCL games. And they have seen some talent at Anfield. Yeah. At the moment, Liverpool, to me, together with uh, two other teams that we'll talk about, look like the favorites to win it all. And uh, that goal by Nabi Keita, oh my God, man. Absolute Did you see his leg extension? Banger. He pretty much kicked himself in the forehead after hitting <laughs> that. And it was such a beautiful shot. Also, I love that celebration when players realize what a goal they've scored and they're just like, oh shit, man. Did you see that? <laughs> love that. Good job, Nabi. What do you make of Liverpool so far, both in the Premier League and in Champions League, Rory? Well, I'm going to go back and remember that I, I had a point to finish. Um, Salah is the only player, I think, that could maybe challenge Rodrigo for being the best dribbler on the planet right now. I think he is running past defenders, dancing past defenders like they don't exist. And in his first goal, he did the same again here. Um Honestly, I did not expect Liverpool to be this good this season. I think I counted them out far too early. And we were talking so much, and like a lot of people were talking so much about how a quiet transfer window is going to kill them. Yes, we know Afcon still they've still got to get through that, and that's going to be difficult. But they are looking unbelievable at the moment in both the Premier League and the Champions League. One of my students today asked me. Okay, you can say one English team to win the Champions League this year. Who is it? And my instinct was to say Liverpool. I just think they are playing some of the best football at the moment. They're always involved in the best games. They've got some of the best players. Like everything is just good, is great there. So I think, yeah, I did not expect them to be this good. And they're so clinical, so clinical. Like, but what you could say is they did let Atletico back into the game. Like they were 2 0 up. They should have been able to be a bit more comfortable, see it to half time or just calm down the game a little bit, but they just weren't able to. And I think maybe the that's end. where they're, where they're if, if there's a weakness, that's where the weakness lies. It's just because they play such a high line, some teams are able to take advantage of it. But then when you can score three away from home anyway, does it matter? Like, at at Atletico, I mm. off, like the first, Atletico. the first team the first team to do it under Simeone, right? I'm pretty I'm <laughs> almost certain. Yeah, no, I like off the top of my head, the goals conceded by Atletico Madrid at home in the Champions League are so few. Uh, they have, they must be the first team to score three in the Champions League mm-hmm. at the Vanda Metropolitano. Um, Atletico Madrid and Porto, an identical record. One win, one draw, one loss. Rory, if you had to guess who else is going to go through aside from Liverpool, who would that be? Atletico. They'll get it done. They always get it done. They'll get it done. Let's move on to one pretty exciting game. Rory had predicted uh, how it would end up almost exactly. We're talking about Old Trafford last night. (laughs) Of course, we're recording on a Thursday. 
Manchester United, the non-team that can always rely on the individuals. I don't Rory. understand. I don't understand. I so don't I would understand. tell you, I, I would tell you very quickly in the, for a very long time. Besides the defensive line, I did not understand the positions of the Manchester United players. I did not understand what lineup they were playing with. I did not understand their game plan at all. And yes, I'm not a manager. Yes, I'm not the most knowledgeable person in football. But I was just confused. Like one time you would see Rashford on the left, the other time on the right. Cristiano Ronaldo kind of wandering all around the pitch. Very little communication between players. And before you know it, At Atalanta are 2-0 up. I think that they took the lead a little too early. Mm. And also, they're starting to become one of Ronaldo's favorite victims. He scored quite a bunch against them. I'll check the stat while I let you go, Rory. I don't understand what Manchester United are. I don't... The first half, they were so bad. And the second half, they were so good. And I don't... Like, how does that happen? Like, the attack is so lethal. And, like, when they were all playing together, you're like, my God, this team could beat anyone on the planet. And then that first half, you you think they look like a side that shouldn't be in the Champions League. They were defending, like, it's being harsh to school kids to say they were defending like school kids. Like, the way they defended that corner for Demiral to score was an absolute joke. And the way that Atalanta passed the ball around them for the first goal, you were like, okay, come on, guys, wake up. But in the second half, they come out. And I don't know whether it's just Ronaldo who gets in there and is like, I am not playing this badly. Like, I'm just going to demand that you all improve. Or whether it's Fernandez who demands it or Solskjaer who demands it. I have no idea. But I don't know how a team can go from being so woeful in the first half to so dominant in the second half. Now, like you said, for Atalanta, in the first half, they did score too early. And the second half, they definitely set up to just, let's hold on to this. Whereas I think they could have tried a bit more to play their normal game. The second United got their first goal, you knew exactly what was going to happen. You were like, okay, put all your money on a United win now because you know they're going to get it. So last night was Ronaldo's first win ever against Atalanta. However, mm. he scored four goals in six games against them. He's starting to become a sort of talisman uh, against Atalanta. I think that, look, Atalanta are a beautiful ensemble, but how long are we going to keep saying... Well, despite losing, they put up a great show mm -hmm. for being Atalanta. I think that this is the moment where you need to actually win these games. You've got a game in control. You're up 2-0 at halftime. Score another one. They went very close with Zapata for his first and Malinovsky after. Oh. De Gea had two very good saves. I think De Gea is really having a good season after all the down uh, mm -hmm. spiral that he had in the past. He's really picking form again. Um, and if it wasn't for him, maybe the result would have been different. But I think that Atalanta need to look for that third goal with more insistency. And on the goal uh, by Rashford, I believe, it was a uh, it was a back pass from Ilicic yeah. to defense yeah. that was intercepted. And Muriel had done the same thing before, but they, uh, Manchester United had missed. So I think it's very important that Atalanta keep their focus for the entirety of the game. They, I still think that they've got very good chances of going through the group stage, but I'm kind of tired of the narrative. It doesn't matter, like, the result in the end. They put up a great show at Old Trafford. No, come on, guys. You can do better than this, I think. Well, this is it. Yeah, I think the whole point of being in these competitions over a sustained period of time is that you improve, right? And that your expectations improve alongside that. And if you're... This is their third year in the Champions League now? Is it third? Yeah. Like, they... They should be aiming for, okay, we've not disgraced ourselves in the first year. 
the second year we've got to the quarterfinals, very closely to the semifinals, right? So you, you should be looking for progress. And that, yeah, that excuse of, oh, you know, plucky little Atalanta doesn't really hold off anymore. Unless, like, I don't know, you look at the difference in wage budgets between Manchester United and Atalanta and you go, okay, they have done bloody well there, to be fair. But I think... Yeah, but that, we're not seeing when, the you think that, when you think that, but that's that's kind of uh, that's kind of fake too, because Maguire is worth eighty nine million pounds, and I don't think that's his actual value. So, two takeaways that I have from this game, though: one thing about Atalanta, and one thing about Manchester United that I appreciated. Cop Miners is a new player for mm-hmm. Atalanta. He comes from the Netherlands, where he was actually the captain of his team. Um, he's he's been starting a lot for Atalanta. Last night, he didn't look in his finest form. What I loved about it was Zapata motivating him. That's the type of teammate that you want. So at first, he had a lob for the forward that was way off. And you see Atalanta, uh, you see Zapata sort of like clapping his hands towards him, like, okay, keep pushing, keep pushing. Then he has a shot, an open wide shot, and he misses, and he kind of like puts his hand in his hair. And right after... Zapata like drops the ball towards him and he shoots very close to target mm. this time and it's just like not giving up on your teammate rather trying to motivate them and give them that extra chance I feel like Zapata knows that Copa Miners needed the goal and so he let him he let him take that extra shot and you compare that to like the energy that Ronaldo gives off to all of his teammates if they dare misplace a pass or not give the ball to him and it's like obviously I know United won in the end but it's like it is nice to see that different um, attitude. Nothing annoys me more than when you see teammates getting visibly angry with other team with their teammates because you're like, oh, there's only one reason you're doing that. You're doing that to embarrass them because you know people are watching. Like, and it really does, it really does anger me that. So yeah, it's it was good to see that. I think that turn and shot from Zapata was absolutely beautiful. I was really hoping that would go in, obviously. Um, but for United. I feel like I just, I'm always saying the same thing about them. I just don't understand how they're doing it. I don't understand how they always manage to do this <laughs> when there is no discernible idea. Like, Tommy, when you said about the formations and the positions, I didn't know when Cavani came on, if he was a focal point up front, if he was playing left wing, if he was a number 10. I was like, what are they trying to do with Cavani here? Is it just, oh, mate, just go out and just, you do you and see what happens. Like, I don't know. It just seems all over the place to me. In this group, we also have a Villarreal beating very convincingly uh, Young Boys 4-1. They are on four points with Atalanta, but they are exactly where they want to be. They are third ready for Europa League. So we might as well say that they've achieved what they wanted. Um, going back very quickly, Rory, to uh, Inter Milan, I just forgot to say one name, Edin Dzeko. Uh, just look up his stats. He's you replacing Lukaku. Inter fans were desperate at the beginning of the season. Zeko is kind of whole old and stuff. He keeps banging them in. He's got five goals in five home games for Inter Milan this season. He keeps delivering. I saw the Champions League best goals of the week. And uh, his against the Sheriff, the 1-0, was the first one. It was a beautiful left-footed volley. Mm. As beautiful as you can see. But let's stay in uh, Italy and England because Juventus... Under Allegri, they finally picked up form. Fourth consecutive 1-0, which is which seems to be the game plan now. Just score one and then defend. They also got so lucky with scoring at the death of time. They did mm-hmm. so against Torino in Serie A. They did so last night against Zenit. But they are also 
one of the very few teams, actually one of the two teams, to concede zero goals over three games, which is pretty impressive. The machine is starting to work. They are pretty much already through to the knockout stage. They are first in the standings, not playing very exciting football, but we can call it effective for sure. And Chelsea are second at six points. They also have conceded only one goal, but they have a problem. Lukaku is injured, but also he doesn't seem to be able to score anymore. Rory, since you're the Premier League expert, what's going on with the big Belgian? Well, and what is going on with Lukaku? I have no idea. We talked about it briefly on the Monday show, I think, and we said that he's just, he is a bit of a confidence player. Um, once it starts to not go his way, it tends to continue to not go his way. Um, and I think they will be a little bit concerned. There was already rumours that they were trying to get rid of Werner because they bought Lukaku. And now there was a story I med- read midweek that two colours admitted that, you know, around Chelsea, they have had conversations about Haaland. So it's, I don't know, I feel like Lukaku needs everything to be built towards him, built around him and everything to be going his way. Against a team like Malmo, you'd be expecting him to get a goal. I know he got injured, but you'd be expecting those to be the games to build his confidence. Um, but don't worry too much. Chelsea have got Norwich this weekend. So uh, <laughs> not that he can play now, but... Um, that would have been a, that would have been another nice game for him to kind of pick up uh, two or three goals. But I'm not. Maybe he should have just stayed at Inter, Tommy. Maybe he should have just stayed at Inter. Well, I'm glad he left. Um, <laughs> Juventus are first at nine points. Chelsea trail by three at six points, and then we've got Zenit and Malmo. Malmo, one of the very disappointing teams mm. to have a total uh, a total um, of points of zero so let's go to the last group featuring an english team group a where we've got psg leading at seven followed by man city at six club bruges at four and rb leipzig what's going on boys zero points three losses 11 goals conceded i have to say that they always lost by one goal and that sounds very very shitty but at the same time, they've been robbed completely of their best players, their manager. They've been robbed of, of their soul by Bayern Munich. And this is just like the natural consequence of what's going to happen. Well, I do feel really bad for Jesse Marsh, who's come in from RB Salzburg um, to become the uh, Leipzig manager and now has had everything taken, all the structure taken away from him before he arrives. And now they're like, okay go um they're also struggling in the Bundesliga this year so they are currently down in eighth position below Cologne um having already lost three games so three wins two draws and three losses so they're kind of struggling in the league as well but this like we said this is understandable considering the summer they had in this group they were always going to have a tough time but for them to be bottom behind Club Bruges now again we said Club Bruges are no mugs they produced some really good young players and they've had some great results. But yeah, RB Leipzig fans will be very, very disappointed with this. And to always lose by one goal. Like I've been in that situation on Football Manager where you're just like, why can I just not keep out that last goal? Like, why is there always that one? Like it is pretty frustrating. Um, But I think this group's kind of going, apart from that, exactly how we expected really. Um, Man City and PSG in the top two places. They'll battle it out to see who finishes top. It'll be interesting to see if Matt, if City finish second in the group because then you get a much harder draw the next, in the knockout rounds. So I think there's actually genuinely quite a lot of competition there for, to get that top spot. Because I was thinking the same for Chelsea and Juventus as well. Like if one For one of those teams to finish second in the group could have a massive, massive impact 
on how far they go in the in the tournament. Well, they could always get lucky and draw a team like Salzburg, which you mentioned. <laughs> and for the first time in their history, they managed to get a streak of two consecutive wins in the Champions League. They're currently leading their group with seven points, followed by Sevilla at three, Lille at two, and Wolfsburg at two. Now, about this group, the thing that uh, struck me the most was, of course, how good of a team Salzburg are. I really like the analysis that Julius Cesar made on Amazon Prime last night. He was one of the pundits um, who showed up as a guest at this uh, post-game um, uh, show. And he mm-hmm. was saying that they play with... He used a term that was very funny. Um uh, he's like they're very. He's like they play irresponsible football, and they love it because they're a young team. They like to attack. They're not caring that much about the defense, and they're getting lucky with their group because it doesn't seem that the attacks are that good. But he says that he said that they're playing the type of football where you don't have a lot of stress on your shoulders. You're playing very relaxed. You're banging in a lot of goals, and that's what they need. So they're first in their group. I don't think we should have. We would have seen that come. But Rory, who do you think are going to go through in Group G? Well, I think as it stands at the moment, I think you have to say that that I th- I thought that this group was going to be an intriguing one because nobody would be looking at it. I think Lille are having a terrible season in Ligue 1 so far. They're really missing um, the fact that the, their manager went to join Nice. Sevilla are always clinical. So I think I think the top two there are going to be the two that go through. But with RB Salzburg, I took a bit of time to kind of read around them uh, this afternoon because I really am... Enjoy, as much as I hate the Red Bull model and what it means for football, I do really enjoy the fact that they produce lots of young players. And I was reading about their sporting director. So he's called Christoph Freund, and he's 44 years old. And he spent most of his career playing um, in the Austrian leagues. And he did play for Austria Salzburg when he was younger. But he's been there since the 2015-16 season. And to go through his transfers, the players that he's picked up and then sold, it's incredible. So he is responsible for the Haaland deal. He's responsible for Dakar. He's responsible for Huang, who's now at Wolves. He's responsible for Keita. Like all the big players they've gone on and sold, he has been the one who's brought them in. It's been under his tenure. So he is just it, uh, the system they have there for spotting talent. Like they paid 250,000 for Pats and Dakar, and he scored four against Spartak Moscow last night in the Europa League, including a nine minute hat trick. Like their ability to spot talent, and what I like about when they sell players, they're not like massively greedy. They sold Holland for like 20 million. They're like, Yeah, that's enough. That's enough to keep us. We can get a few more players in with that, and we'll make it more like. I think I just really like the way the clubs run and their identity, like their talent identity. And the striker they have now, Adeyemeni, Adeyemeni, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, he's going to be the next one. He's going to be the next one that's sold on now. His record in the league is great. Uh, He got one of the goals last night. And I think he's going to be the next striker that in two seasons' time, a Premier League Serie A, Bundesliga club will come looking for him. Like, they're just this conveyor belt of talent they have is unbelievable so it's great to see them top in a group and hopefully in the knockout stages that'd be fantastic i think they're bound to the knockout stages we only have two groups left to cover one i'm gonna headline it oh no barcelona scored their first goal in this year's champions league and they win against dinamo kiev dinamo kiev what are you doing one nil loss against barcelona who uh, the Spaniards are currently third in the group stage at three points that suddenly things are looking brighter than ever this season. 
Bayern Munich are leading with nine points. And here are my favorites to lift the Champions League this season. Bayern Munich, they're just back to being the inevitable team that they, they, they've got us used to mm-hmm. seeing. They've got so much talent and it feels like there is no defense that they cannot sit down, figure out and completely dismantle by the time the 90th minute comes. Um, Last week in the Bundesliga against the Bayer Leverkusen, who were very mouthy on Twitter, if you remember our ending quote from last week, it was nil-nil and then all of a sudden they scored four goals in eight minutes and that was halftime, four-nil for Bayern Munich. They look inevitable. They've got so much talent that the Sané free kick that they had the other night was incredible against Benfica. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's Bayern Munich once again. They are back. They're here to make a statement. They scored 12 goals, which means, uh, well, they've played three games. So an average of four goals per game in the group stage so far and conceded zero. Guess who's also back? Manuel Neuer. He had, he pulled off some incredible saves against Benfica. Um, do you think Barcelona are going to go through, Rory, or not? No, <laughs> no, I think it's too much for them. And I was thinking whilst watching the highlights, I was like, is, because they like to play PK up front, is PK a better striker than Luke de Jong? Now, this is a very <laughs> small, there's a very small sample window, admittedly, but this season, and I'm just going to drop this, this season, Luke de Jong has one goal for Barcelona and PK has two. I rest my case. They should play <laughs> PK up front. He is obviously the savior that they need. Luke de Jong definitely isn't. And they've scored a total of four goals. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. But it was like, he can't score. 50% uh, scored... of the team goals, Tommy. 50%. Yeah. 50%. It's on PK. Beautiful. We will see. I don't know. I feel like Barcelona are. They're little bastards. They're like Juventus. They get one win and then they know what to do for the rest. They're going to, mm-hmm. man, I think that honestly, they're looking at the Juventus model, how to win games 1-0 and just be comfortable with that result. But finally, the last group that we need to cover, ladies and gentlemen, Group C. It's only three of the teams who've got a total of nine points after three games. And we're talking about Juventus, Bayern Munich, and Ajax. Now, this team... 11 goals scored and only one goal conceded. Last night, their goalkeeper had an incredible save on Haaland, who mm-hmm. stared. I loved Haaland's reaction. He took it personally. You don't do that to Haaland. It was a beautiful shot. The goalkeeper dived. He and then the ball hit the he got the ball and then the ball hit the crossbar and Haaland just waited for the goalkeeper to get up, stared him in the eyes, and just looked at him like, What are you doing? You don't do How that against dare me. You? How but man, dare you? Yeah. The thing is this one. If I wasn't like if I could pick, if I was born again and I could pick a team to support, that would be Ajax. I don't know. They come from Amsterdam, which yeah. I don't have to cover <laughs> why it's an awesome city. Um I, I love the Netherlands in general. It's a country that I really like. Um, the people sitting behind us at the stadium last week were from the Netherlands, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I yeah. made the usual joke, ah, I love Stroopwafels, which is like their favorite sweet. And they, all of a sudden, they forgot of all the swear words I'd been using, of all the alcohol I'd been drinking, and they pulled off a smile. So that's why Dutch people are great. But also then, it feels like they, they stay dormant for a few years, but then they come back. And mm-hmm. I feel like this might as well be the best Ajax team we've seen since that one that went to the semifinals against the Tottenham. Hot take? I don't think so. They look good. They look prolific and they look solid. 
Well, this is it. And it's all under the same manager. It's Ten Hag, right? And he is now, like you said, arguably, he's created his second very good Ajax team. To beat Dortmund 4-0 at home is definitely no mean feat. Like, we know that Dortmund are prone to these collapses and these, like, meltdowns every so often. But still, that is a very impressive result. And the football that Ajax play, they play beautiful football. It's always entertaining. And I think they... Yeah, I can understand why you would want to support them, I'll be honest, um, because they are a very attractive club. And he's made Haller, so far, he's the top goal scorer in the Champions League. Now, anyone who saw him play in the Premier League last year would not have seen this coming. And I think the Ten Hag has just been able to build a great team, like that mix of experience and youth, so he's still got players like Dusan Tadic, but he's able to bring through the younger players even like that winger they've got as well, the Brazilian winger, I think Anthony is unbelievable. So they're always just like RB Salzburg, right? Or Salzburg are like Ajax, I think is probably fairer. Um, they just constantly have this cycle of talent coming through, but the blend of experience and youth in that squad is really, really good. And maybe like if you if you got them in the Champions League, if you got them in the knockout round, you wouldn't be really kind of confident. You'd be like, okay, this is going to be a rough one, right? Mm-hmm. I, uh, agreed, 100%. Do you think Dortmund are going to go through? They're second on six points, but they've scored only three goals over a grand total of three games. Uh, Sporting are trailing by three points in third place. Uh, and finally, Besiktas, one of the most disappointing teams in this campaign, zero points so far. Can Sporting overtake Borussia, in your opinion? I think Dortmund should see it through. I think Dortmund should see it through. Obviously, it all comes to the next game, which is going to be away in in Amsterdam. So that is going to be a big, big game, and it all kind of hinges on that. So obviously, they're not going to feel too confident after getting humbled away. But in Dortmund, with that atmosphere, maybe Ajax might struggle a little bit more. So I think it all hinges on that next game for Dortmund. So that's it for the Champions League. Also some beautiful saves last night for the first time in a long time. At this show, I saw the best saves of the Champions League. Maybe they did it because Julio Cesar was in the studio as well. Um, But if you don't have anything more to say about the Champions League, I was just looking at my notes. A few things that I wanted to say. Simeone not shaking Klopp's hand and Klopp just losing it. He tried to chase him down the tunnels. Um, He's a weird one. I'm trying to think if I've seen... I've seen another manager refuse to shake Jurgen Klopp's hand. I feel like I might have seen it before, but I'm not yeah. sure because I feel like he's quite an affable guy. Like, does anybody know what it was? I know, well, that red card was definitely a red card, but I know the oh game. Oh my God, he, that was a great It was an awful, card. awful. I don't know what. It was Griezmann, right? I don't know what he thought he was doing. But he had just scored the two goals. I think he was on the wings of, yeah. you know, just excitement and he wanted to do it all and he just kicked somebody's face. That's something you don't but- do. <laughs> But I don't know if it was the fact that the game got heated that just meant the Simeone wasn't having it, but it's a bit of like the sour grapes to it, isn't it, really? And maybe my favorite Champions League moment from this uh, the match day, I didn't see it at the stadium um, because we were far away, probably a little intoxicated. But one of the interplays, did you see Lautaro and Perisic hitting a loose ball at exactly the same time and smashing the crossbar? Big time Holly and Benji vibes, right? Do you remember that they used to... Uh, Captain Tsubasa? Did you have that cartoon? Oh, right. Now, this is something... This is a, a cultural phenomenon I missed out on. 
Okay, so there was like, it was terrible. It for the English listeners, I don't it, know what it's fucking doing. awful. Yeah. I hated that show, but it was called Oli and Banji, and it was about uh, two Japanese football players, a goalkeeper and a forward, um, and they played when they were running. I didn't like anime when I was a kid because I was okay, like, compared right, right, to right. Disney cartoons, the drawings are terrible. And they, when they showed people running, the pitch would become a sort of hill. It was terrible. Okay. Yeah. Um, but then there was this famous shot that the two forwards of the national Japanese te- uh, no, of the of their team had, which was I don't know what it was called, but basically it was uh, Oli and Becker hitting the ball at the same time. Becker was okay, another forward right. hitting the ball at the same time. But man, last night on since it was a huge cultural phenomenon in Italy, last night on Amazon Prime in the studio they showed the play from the cartoon, <laughs> and it was exactly the same thing, except that in the cartoon they scored. But then the very embarrassing thing, Rory, and this. You know, sometimes we're hard on ourselves about the podcast. Like, sometimes maybe we joke too much about something. Dude, they closed up the show last night trying to recreate that same shot. Oh, God. And the, and the, the TV host got injured. Like, he really got injured. Oh, God. But, but there was... Pull his hamstring or something. That's so bad. Very quickly, because it's super stupid. But Federico Balzaretti, former player for Palermo and the Italian national team, also for Roma, he was in the studio and the team and the TV host getting a ball out of nowhere. And it's like, should we try to recreate the shot? And Julius Cesar goes, no, guys, I don't know if we should do it. Like, I don't know, we could break stuff. And they're like, no, 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 you go, like two fucking kids, you go in goal, Julio, you go in goal. And you see Julio Cesar just standing there like, guys, I don't think it's a good idea. They, well, Balzaretti gets a touch on the ball. The host completely misses, but then <laughs> Balzaretti completely wrecks his shin. And you see, the, <laughs> you see the TV host like getting his leg and he's like, God, all right, bye listeners. We'll talk to you another time. And then they just ended like that. I was like, this is ridiculous. But that's it for the Champions League. Very quickly, before we jump to the weekly topic, Rory, what games are we going? And I'm slowing down because I know that Rory needs to look for his notes. What games in the Premier League this weekend? Well, it all starts off tomorrow night or tonight, as you have it, listeners, as we have Arsenal taking on Aston Villa. Ooh. Next, um, we <laughs> I just don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about us at the minute. Monday was awful, so Friday's probably going to be the same. Um, on Saturday, can I just we... can I just say one thing, Rory? Arsenal yeah. are undefeated in six games. <laughs> More by luck than by design, I would say. <laughs> like Jesus fucking Christ, how we got away with that one against Palace, I will never ever know. Um, but before I get off on a rant on that one, because, yeah, anyway. Um, so, <laughs> starting on Saturday at half past one, we have Chelsea taking on Norwich. This could be a cricket score, as they say. I really feel for Norwich this weekend, they're going to get both barrels as Chelsea continue their run towards a title challenge. For context, the last time Norwich City beat Chelsea was, right, Tommy, give us a guess of the year, the, the last time Norwich beat Chelsea. 1993. Oh, mate, that was so close. What? <laughs> August 1990. No, December 1994. Oh, shit. 10th that of was January 1994 off. at Carroll Road, Norwich beat Chelsea 3-0. Ever since, it has been basically straight W. So I am not holding my breath for Norwich here. Um, but it could be an interesting game if you like seeing goals um, from one team. 
Then on <laughs> Saturday, that's followed by Crystal Palace versus Newcastle. Um, this is a three o'clock kickoff. Crystal Palace, after a very, very impressive performance against Arsenal, where they definitely should have had three points, can they actually see a game out until the final whistle is blown at this point and get three points? I'm going to say they can against Newcastle, who have finally, in the least surprising news, shocked, uh, sacked Steve Bruce this week. Um, well, he stepped down. I think it's more like he was jumped before he was pushed. So the assistant is going to take over for this game. I don't know how Newcastle expect this situation to be better. I just don't understand how they expect it to be better with the assistant in charge, but cool. Yes. We've slagged off, especially you, because you have more knowledge about the person, Steve Bruce, quite a bit. But it was beautiful to read the St. Maximan's post mm-hmm. uh, following his departure. And he said, you're a man I would always remember, uh, both for what you did for me on the pitch and off the pitch. Thank you for everything you've done for me. So it seems that at least, despite not being maybe the best tactical genius out there, he's a good person. So. Yeah, there were also rumors of like the players having nicknames for him and regularly like openly laughing at him and stuff. So I don't know, like Sam Maximan is a legend, but I, I, I don't think all the changing rooms shared his um, sentiments. But it was nice to see. It was nice to see. Also follow Sam Maximan on, on Twitter. He's great. Um, then we have on Saturday another team who are struggling. We have Leeds versus Wolves. Leeds desperately, desperately need to find some form. Hopefully, they'll have some of the players back. Phillips, Bamford, if they can get some of them back, maybe they can find some form. Wolves fresh off that massive comeback against uh, Villa from 2-0 down. So that could be an interesting game to watch. Again, on Saturday at 3 o'clock, we have Everton versus Watford. Move on. Uh, Next, we have Southampton versus Burnley. Two teams again struggling. That's not going to be a classic. Then, the late kickoff. On Saturday, Brighton versus Man City. Tommy, this is going to be a football game. This is this is a football, football game. game between title challengers, and I'm gonna watch it. I think on a Saturday night at six thirty Italian time. Um, Brighton, they come from two consecutive nil-nil draws. Will they score against Manchester City? But even better, will they win? Is this possible in your opinion, Rory? I'm going to say they score, but they probably don't win. It's definitely possible. I feel like last season, Brighton definitely gave City a right game at the Amex. And off the top of my head, I'm not sure if they won, but they definitely... They won 3-2. I'm just checking right now. They beat them, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they they lost 1-0 at the Etihad, and then at the Amex, they won 3-2 with goals by Trossard, Webster, and Byrne. And they were were actually down 2-0, and they came back. They won 3-2. Absolute classic. So, yeah, Brighton, come on, you Seagulls. Hopefully they can do it. That would be great if they could get the home double over City. But with City looking in such fierce form, I'm not going to hold my breath for them just yet. So that wraps up Saturday. Then on Sunday, now Sunday, Tommy, we're spending the day together because it is the Derby Day around Europe. I believe there are some massive games. And in England, this is starting with an always classic Sunday Three o'clock kickoff in the UK, West Ham versus Tottenham. Always a fiery game. West Ham's record against Tottenham is always pretty good. They drew against them at Tottenham last year and won 
at the London Stadium 2-1. So with that goal from Lanzini. With that goal. Oh, no, was it Lingard last year? Sorry, sorry, sorry. It was Lingard winner, wasn't it, I believe? So I think West Ham will definitely be hoping to continue their form. They, of course, play tonight or last night, as you hear it, against Genk. So hopefully they'll come through unscathed and able to take on and defeat Tottenham. Then on Sunday, that's followed by... Brentford versus Leicester. Now, that's at the same time, but that could also, obviously, if it wasn't for West Ham Tottenham, Brentford-Leicester would be a bloody good game to watch as well. I feel like, again, two teams that play really good football. Leicester from a 4-2 win against Spartak Moscow on Wednesday. Like I said, Patson Daka, four goals. If he gets more chances in the Premier League, he is going to score goals. That will be a great game. And then finally, we have the big one, and it kicks off at half past five in the UK. Manchester United take on Liverpool in the Northwest Derby. Now, Manchester United lost at home last time, 4-2 to Liverpool. Um, and they've not beaten Liverpool in the Premier League since... I'm going back. Um, do, 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 do. I think it may be around 2019. Wow. Two full years, huh? Yeah, in the Premier League, they've not beat them at home since 2018, 2018. So this will be a big, big um, scalp for United if they do. But (laughs) again, with the form that Liverpool are in and the confusing form that Manchester United are in, I feel like there's only really one winner here before I jinx it and United win 4-0 now. In Serie A, we start off on Saturday. Actually, we start off on Friday. Sorry, guys. We start off on Friday with Torino, Genoa, and uh, at night uh, later that night we've got Sampdoria, Spezia. Torino, Torino are a good team this season. The last two games were against Juventus and Napoli, but uh, hey, they lost only one nil, and they they were in the game in both games. Um, they uh, their new manager Juric is definitely making them play good football. Um, but the results are not there fully. They seem incapable of scoring more than one goal per game. Hopefully, mm. this is the chance against Genoa to kind of get the three points. Genova, Genoa haven't won a game this season since uh, September 12th away at Cagliari. Since then, it's been two losses and three draws. So I think that Torino have a chance here. And then we've got Sampdoria Spezia. Spezia fresh off a very good win against uh, Salernitana. 2-1, it was their first win after three consecutive losses to Juventus, AC Milan and Verona. The last game that they won was against Venezia. And the Sampdoria going uh, through a slump. Um, they won against Empoli 3-0. And since then, they've lost 4-0 to Napoli, 3-2 to Juventus. They drew 3-3 to Udinese. And then the latest game, they lost it 3-1 against Cagliari. Two low-key games. But I think in this one, Sampdoria Spezia, we are going to see quite a few goals. We move on to Saturday when we have only three games. Salernitana-Empoli at 3 p.m. Can Rory's Seahorses beg another win after the one against Genoa? What do you think, Rory? I'm hoping so. I'm really hoping so. It was good to see Simi get his first goal for the club as well. You know, that was something that needed... um that record needed breaking. So he's got his fill now. Hopefully he'll get a few more. Yeah, I really do love their kits. I really do love their kits. So I hope they can get a result here. But Empoli have not been doing too bad either. They're a decent side. So it should be a for like two teams that have both been promoted. That could be a pretty good game. 
Yeah, and uh, Salernitana have just sacked their manager, Castori, and there was, uh, we've talked about him, Mr. Beavers. We dedicated an episode to oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. him <laughs> with our friend Luca, who is going to be on this pod very soon to discuss the Korea World Cup of 2002. But he was sacked, and there was a very nice picture that was uh, posted by a fan on social media. It's Castori uh, along at the beach in uh, Salerno, sitting on a bench, looking at the sunset, beautiful sunset uh, over the sea. And he's just sitting there, contemplating the sky after he's been sacked. It was, uh, yeah, the human side of football, right? Then we've got Sassuolo-Venezia. So all these games that I've mentioned so far, they're between teams that desperately need points. The Sassuolo are not the Sassuolo that we've been used to seeing in Serie A. Over the last five games, only one win against Salernitana. The latest was a draw uh, against Genoa, 2-2. And Venezia, they picked up a pretty important win against Fiorentina uh, on Monday night, a 1-0 win. Their second of the season after defeating Empoli away earlier this season. And then the night, Bologna, AC Milan. Bologna, who came up strong against Lazio for a 3-0 win. Um, but after that, they haven't, they haven't I mean, they, they drew against Udinese and it just seemed like an off day for Lazio. AC Milan, still second, still undefeated. Their only losses came in the Champions League this season. For the rest, they are on four consecutive wins in Serie A, having drawn also uh, only against Juventus. And then Sunday, we've got Atalanta Udinese, Fiorentina Cagliari, Ellas Verona Lazio, and then pull out the big guns, ladies and gentlemen, because Roma, Mourinho's Roma, will try to get in the way of Spalletti's Napoli. Now, the thing that I love about this game is that both Mourinho and Spalletti had that very nice uh, little break. Do you remember? Uh, Mourinho calling mm-hmm. him Spallettone, grandissimo. Yeah, yeah, they had this little nice show on live television, but they're also two people, well, Mourinho, needless to say, but also Spalletti. They can get pretty angry. They can get pretty mouthy on the touchline. So I expect a very good game already at the touchline. But then mm. they're two very good teams. Napoli, eight consecutive wins in Serie A. Roma lost their latest against Juventus, only 1-0, but they are no mugs. They have a very good defense. They concede very, very little. This one is going to be an exciting game. Of course, Napoli are also also playing tonight, and so are Roma, respectively, Mm -hmm. in the Europa League and in the Conference League. Did you hear what, what Mancini said about the game that they're going to play in Norway tonight? No, no, no. He, I actually dig what he said. Uh, like a journalist told him, uh, how does it feel to come to play all the way to Norway? It's getting dark very early in the day. It's kind of cold. How do you feel? And he's just like, this is the price we pay for having a shit season last year. <laughs> and then, but then he said, and then he said, I don't, I don't care about playing here. I'm actually happy. Um, the fans from this team, they're going to see a big team like Roma. We play for the fans, so it's nice to kind of travel Europe. Oh. So he kind of like balanced it out at the end. That's a good save. As a, as a well no, it, it's, it's, a good, it's a good save, but at the same time, I agree for what he said. Like, we had a shit season last year. Mm-hmm. This is the price we pay. We cannot complain. But then the biggest gun of them all entered against you an evening Napoli-Roma then in Juventus what is this yes Dybala is supposed to be back for the game against Inter um listen until the end of the episode there is a nice quote from Arturo Vidal clapping back at Bonucci 
But Derby d'Italia, ladies and gentlemen, um, what can we say? Last year, uh, Juventus won one of the two games 3-2 and Inter won the other one 2-0 earlier in the season. What do you expect from this one, Rory? I expect, well, it really depends how the first 20 minutes go. <laughs> if, if Juventus score first, then I expect the game to be incredibly dull and Juventus to see it out. But if Inter get the first goal, I think it could be an absolute barnstormer. I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited about it. I do worry about Inter mentally when it comes to facing Juventus, though. The only, team, the only game where we've, well, actually, we've failed to score in two games this season, both in the Champions League against Real Madrid and Shakhtar Donetsk, that doesn't seem to be the problem in Italy. The thing is that if Juventus do win this game, we will be on even points, 17, oh. which is kind of crazy to think about if we reminisce about the beginning of the season that Juventus had. Uh, no big injuries. We shall see if, um, we shall see if Kalinolu can play. Um, I was looking at the injuries. There is always, of course, Christian Eriksen in the injury list. Yeah. Um, we miss you, dude. Whenever you want to come back to play football, of course, do all the assessments that you need to do. But Inter Milan will welcome you back with great, great. Can you words. imagine the reception he's going to get when he comes back? Can you imagine? Oh, we shall see. I'm very excited. But now it's time to jump to our weekly topic. We are going to talk about one of the craziest World Cup to ever take place. We're going to take you all the way back to 2002. We're going to travel to South Korea and Japan. And we're going to see what happened to one of the best Azzurri team ever assembled. And it is time... Finally, he's been able to join us, but it's time to talk about the 2002 World Cup. Now, before we do, I'm going to take you back in time just a little bit. Wait, introduce you... introduce our guest, Rory. Introduce our guest, Luca, who's finally back. Is everything okay at work, Luca? See, guys. See, guys. Super happy to be, to be back in uh, such an important episode. <laughs> Probably... One of the of the of those moments that you never forget in in your life, sport life, but also life in in general. We will see. Rory, take us back to two thousand two. What was going on in the world nineteen years ago? Nineteen years ago does it sounds like it should only be nine, but the world was <laughs> so. The Winter Olympics were held in Salt Lake City. Films like Ice Age, Lord of the Rings, Some of All Fears, and Star Wars: Attack of the Clones were released. The big songs were Skater Boy by Avril Lavigne. It was a big year for her. <laughs> Lose Yourself by Eminem. Dilemma by Nelly. And Dirty by Christina Aguilera were all blasting out of our boomboxes. Most importantly, Arsenal won the FA Cup and Premier League double, beating Chelsea in the final. And as we all remember, George W. Bush choked on a pretzel and fainted briefly. So do we now <laughs> feel like we are in the year 2002? A hundred percent. Also, other movies that I was just looking up, Minority Report, one of my favorite sci-fi movies of all time, and the second Harry Potter and the second Lord of the Rings. When I saw the posters for the movies, it really took me back to when I was in a, um, in elementary school slash middle school arguing with my friends, what's better, Harry Potter or the Lord of the Rings? What team are you, Rory? Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings? Lord of the Rings, no competition. Not even close. Luca? Not even close, Lord of the Rings. Oh, please Let's let it be go. a full house. Tommy, don't ruin it. 
I think we can start. No, no, I am Lord of the Rings 100%. I got tired of Harry Potter rather quickly. But guys, before we start talking about one of the most unique games in world football, I need to ask you, uh, let's start from Luca and then we go to Rory and then myself. What do you remember from this World Cup? Luca, what are your memories? But the, the first thing is uh, Ronaldo haircut. <laughs> the, the little triangle he had here in front, it was, uh, I personally loved it. Everyone was criticizing, but I think, uh, I don't know, it's sweet. For him, it was, uh, it was cool. In that moment, it was cool. So I remember this, which was uh, like a surprise. I think he did it exactly for the, for the competition, you know, like for, mm. the, for the event. Yeah. It was based so on they, a Japanese cartoon character, right? Something like that, exactly. Yeah, that he liked uh, or, or that he loved. Yeah. So this for sure. Then I remember Oliver Kahn because uh, he was one of my favorite players. I really loved Oliver Kahn. And in that competition, he was, uh, he was amazing. In those years, he was uh, probably the best. one of the best goalkeepers. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. The best. And so you, were, best you were a goalkeeper yourself, Luca, right? Exactly. I was. So for me, Kahn, it was, uh, I was in love with Oliver Kahn. Mm. As a goalkeeper and as a person, it was really like uh, also funny. He was always like doing uh, crazy stuff or, you know, losing his mind in, with, uh, easily, easily, let's say. And then, of course, I remember uh, our team, our team, because uh, for me, this was a real dream team. Italy was a real dream team. Everyone, it was considered by everyone as one of the favorites together with Brazil. The team was amazing. Everyone was, was at, the, at his best moment. And we had one of, uh, of our best coach. Giovanni Trapattoni, which for us is more than, than a legend, we would see why. But before we get into the details about Italy, Rory, what are your memories of Korea-Japan 2002? Well, I was at high school, because I'm obviously a few years older than you guys, um, and I remember mainly waking up to watch football, which was amazing. It was like really early in the morning, and I remember like for the England games, we could go into school and watch the football in school, which was really cool. So you had the whole school together with like a big screen watching the match. That was really good. Um, what do I remember from the tournament? I remember Ronaldinho. That's the first time I discovered who he was as he chipped um, David Seaman accidentally on purpose. That was uh, That's the kind of heaviest memory for me of the tournament. And an England team that should have achieved more, arguably the best England team on paper for a long, long time. Um, and, of course, France being humiliated out of the tournament, which we all enjoyed. Yeah, that was my first big memory. Um, I remember also waking up early in the morning. I used to live in the countryside in Marque, a big house. And I was always, uh, I always used to wake up very early when I was a kid. And I remember just turning on the tally and realizing that there was football mm -hmm. while I was having my cereal. It's so, incredible. It was incredible. It was beautiful. <laughs> and I remember that one of the first games that I watched was exactly France against Senegal. And Senegal winning 1-0. And the night before, I remember kind of discovering where Senegal was in the world map. And my father had told me that they used to be a French colony. And the next morning, mm -hmm. I turn on the TV and the game is on and Senegal win. So I go wake up my father and he tells me, Tommy, let me sleep, please. <laughs> so that's my memory, my number one memory. Then, of course, I remember also Oliver Kahn, who unfortunately didn't do greatly in the final against mm -hmm. Brazil. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's, that's, that's more or less what I remember from this world cup and also an Italian man smashing his glass against the wall 
during Italy, Korea. So <laughs> we are finally there. We I will cover that in detail later. But Luca, going into the World Cup, what was the Italian national team like? Why were people so behind it? Why did many people think that we were the favorites? See, uh, as said, guys, uh, there was really this uh, high, high expectation from everyone, from the press, from the supporters, from the team itself. It was like, uh, it was described, I think, on the right way, it was described as a dream team because it was really, really strong in every, I mean, uh, our um, our lineup was Buffon, Maldini, Panucci, Coco, uh, there was Cannavaro, there was Nesta, which unfortunately was always injured. We had uh, Zambrotta, um, we had uh, also uh, our strikers, we had Totti, Vieri, Del Piero, Inzaghi, Montella. So this was really, a, and all these players were at the, at the very peak. Top. Yeah, 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 the peak, exactly. So it was, just to be clear, it was one of those years that in Italy we had so many good players that majority of them couldn't even participate because we had so many that we could have had like easily two teams. Imagine that Roberto Baggio was not called from uh, from from Trapattoni, even if he did uh, with Brescia an, an amazing season. He was really like a monster beast, but he was not called because there was no space. So... Considering all this, you can see that uh, the, the team was really amazing and, and uh, even the international press was uh, was mentioned in Italy as one of the, the favorites. Let's not forget that only two years before at the last international competition, <laughs> we were in the final against France, that semi-final against the Netherlands that I talked about last week, and then see. we lost at the Golden Goal. Golden Goal award that will have its importance also in this World Cup. So, group stage, Luca, what are we looking at in the group stage? Who were our See, opponents exactly. at the time? Let's start from uh, from the group stage because uh, no one, you know, there is this Italia-Korea that everyone talks about, of course. It's, it's right to talk about this, but uh, it's interesting to mention, uh, we need to quickly mention the group. So, we were with uh, Ecuador, which was at uh, the first participation, Mexico and Croatia. So, not exactly a difficult a difficult group considering the quality of, of that team um, and in fact if we if we quickly quickly check first game 2-0 with, with Ecuador no problems no signal of alarm we had Vieri which was a real monster he scored two goals he failed other two very easily so it really looked like one of the possible uh, bomber of the, of the top goal Cup. scorers yeah of, the, goal scorer, of the World yes. Cup yeah, we were very good, very, you know, as always, not uh, not conceding a goal. We started like like uh, like we should. We start to have the, the first big problems from uh, from the second game because we we lose with Croatia, 1-2. Uh, Goals by? Do you have the yeah. goal scorers in front of you? Uh, yeah, we, uh, Vieri scored. Vieri again scored. Um, Three goals in two games for Christian yeah, Vieri. Yeah, and during the second the second half, we had two goals disallowed. Vieri again and Inzaghi. And, you know, the, the amazing thing is that in that period, there was no VAR. So it was that period, you all remember, when there was like uh, this time to for, for the assistant to decide in, in less than one second, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, flag mm -hmm. up, flag down, so he need to decide in one second. And, you know, there was this tendency that if you have a big, big doubt, you should not uh, do anything. Give the goal. Exactly. You should not do anything. And uh, and we had two... two. To be honest, we didn't play well. 
okay? Because we have to admit, we never have to, to mention just the ref. But there was something strange. There was something strange, to be honest, because, uh, you know, uh, we were not that bad. Of course, we were, we were playing, Italy was playing under, you know, under his, his possibilities, but we were not that bad. And we lose to one. Uh, we go to the last game against Mexico. Uh, I remember this one very well. I remember the. I actually remember drawing down on my notebook, like drawing the Mexico kit because I really liked it. See, oh. see, true. It was amazing. Yeah, and in that game, we start we start losing again one zero. We played we played bad uh, in comparison to to what we could do, and we had other two goals disallowed again. And it's always for the same reason, you know, it was like in line, not in line, uh, for a joke or not for a joke. It was always like a doubt, but you know. Is it, not, is it not just a trend with your strikers then that they can't stay on side? Is that what it is? Exactly. <laughs> especially, if you're playing with, especially if you're playing with Inzaghi up front. Exactly. I mean, being especially a linesman. That's always a risk. It's always a risk <laughs> with Inzaghi. Being right? a linesman when Inzaghi is playing, it must be hell. It's so difficult to, to understand, but the majority of the time was offside. <laughs> So we, in the end, we draw 1-1 with Del Piero. We pass with uh, four points, which is not, not a lot, but in, in, in Italian history during the, the World Cup or the, or the group stage, we always do bad. We always pass like at the last second, we draw or we pass because we score one goal more, nothing, uh, nothing new. So, yeah. We, but <laughs> one thing that we need to mention, Luca, is that in another group, featuring Portugal and one of the home nations of the World Cup, some strange things start happening. Um, Portugal don't make it to the, to, to the knockout stage, correct? So See. is there a feeling that things are going a little bit in favor of a certain home team? See, there is this exactly home team. Um, we need to talk about this because this this World Cup, you know, is in Japan and and Korea. So not exactly, you know, Brazil or, or Argentina or Germany or Italy. So not exactly the um, a, a country exactly. with a lot of football culture. Yeah. Well, this exactly. this was the start of like Sepp Blatter's mission to like take the World Cup to countries where football wasn't before. Right. This is his first you are very right. exactly. attempt to do that. Right. Attempt exactly. They started yeah, yeah, with these attempts, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, to 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 share football with everyone in every mm. part of the world. You know. So fascinating, of course, because you know, yeah, Japan and Korea, all super modern, all the stadiums, you know. There were, everything was uh, was super technological. I remember these stadiums, you know, opening and with the it was amazing. But at the same time, there was there was exactly as Tommy said, there were rumors, you know, some rumors that uh, it was a bit embarrassing not to have like the the hosting uh, the hosting teams uh, passing the groups or mm. or being or being smashed by everyone. There was these rumors, and in fact, we have this first game. Korea against um, Portugal, the last game of the of their group, and the feeling, the first feeling we have, if you if you check the game now, is that every everything was considered to to Korean players. They could do, they, they were playing really with rage, you know, because of course the, the quality was not that much, technical skills <laughs> uh, not that much. So they they were compensating like everyone does in football, mm -hmm. you know, with. Uh, Aggressive, aggressivity, aggressivity, run, rage, whatever. But everything was considered. So in a game like this, it's easy if you lose your mind to to complicate everything. That's what happens to Portugal. I remember the red card to Beto. 
mm-hmm. uh, another red card, so they they lost their mind. They the and they and consequently they, they lost the game. So Korea pass the to 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 round of eight. Uh, yeah, they, they go through to the knockout stage. They go through, but, exactly. They go. But there is this aura around Korea that maybe they have maybe bought their way yeah, to the knockout there stage. Is, exactly. There is something that uh, some help, let's say. Mm-hmm. Everyone starts to see this. Yeah. But and, uh, and of course, you know. Yeah, they have. Uh, so, sorry, just in that game against uh, South Korea, they had two players sent off, right? Two players sent off. I Portugal, think so. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I will I will mention a, I will mention a video at the end of this episode uh, that you can look up online and you will see all of these bad refereeing decisions and of course Italy make it to the knockout stage and who are they going to play Luca they are going to play exactly so I remember exactly when the when the, the you know the draw Italy against Korea now uh, knowing Italy if it was Italy against Brazil I was quiet. You know, relax because Italy. When there are games like this, they do what they have to do. Mm-hmm. On the other end, when we play with a underdog or with someone that no one cares, eh, Sweden, we do, we do Denmark. unbelievable disasters. Exactly, <laughs> unbelievable disasters. Also, we have to mention that Korea was nothing new for us because during the World Cup in uh, in the UK in 1966, n- mm. not everyone knows, but we lost against North Korea, not South, North Korea, the last game of our group 1-0 and imagine mm-hmm. that uh, even with a draw we would have passed to the next round so we lost that game that still now uh, is remembered as something like like the, just the name Korea is is uh, it's like a war for us mm-hmm. this was like losing a war because it was one of the worst moments in probably even worse than the one that we will tell now I read it recently in an article when the Italian national team was playing. They they just said the article just read uh, l'Italia teme un'altra Corea. Italy are afraid of a new Korea. And if you know the football history, you will know that they're referring to that game in 1990, uh, 1966, which was huge in Italy. It was the the first time that the Italian national team found themselves losing to a real big underdog. Not even South Korea, North Korea. No, Damn it. Yeah. And uh, so you can imagine that with this, uh, with this happening uh, 50 years before, uh, playing against the, you know, it's never easy to play against the hosting team. Um, with, all, with all the things that will happen against Portugal, it was not uh, the best, uh, the best row. And I remember that uh, the press and everyone, it was really like, we were nervous. To be honest, everyone was nervous before before the game. I I, I remember just to mention. Uh, because this game, you know, you have like, if you like football, you have like two or three games in your life that you never forget. Like the mm-hmm. most important games in your life. This was one of, of in my probably the best one in in my in my life, and even one of the one of the most important moments in my life in general. Because I remember everything. I remember the day, as you said, with my friends, we went to. Who were you with? You said you were with Sasa and Korra, correct? Exactly. Yeah, we were together. <laughs> we went to we went to Oratorio, which is basically like the the, the, the area next to the church. Yeah, it's uh, like in Italy we have these things called Oratorio. They're like basically yeah. it's where you do activities in the afternoon and they're all connected to the church. And See, you guys played football there, right? We played football together and there was this uh, like uh, giant, giant medium screen <laughs> where you could see all the, all the games and uh, we were all there. And I remember, of course, it was during the daytime. 
and uh, and we were all there together. So I remember it was clear. I don't know how to explain, but I personally remember the atmosphere the day before the match, uh, the press. You could really have the feeling that something strange w- was going on. I remember I was going to the mountains, to a summer camp in the mountains, where I actually worked this summer. And my dad was driving me and my sister there. And he said, shall we stop, have lunch, and watch the game? I think it was around the lunchtime in Italy. And uh, maybe after lunch. And I was uh, in northern Italy, in the mountains. Everybody was drinking grappa. And uh, that is the, 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 I was at this restaurant with a big open space outside. There was a screen inside, a small screen outside. And I will tell you later what happened. But Luca, please keep going. So this was the atmosphere. Wait, Rory, did you watch this game? I did. I did watch this game because obviously my dad is quite heavily invested in Italy with him convincing himself he's Italian. So we did watch it. um, And my dad was also incredibly infuriated by the end of this game. And I'm pretty sure still holds a grudge against the nation and peoples of South Korea after this game. (laughs) I'm almost certain. Oh, come on, Marco. <laughs> but, Luca, take us to the game. What went down in those 119 minutes of football? So, I, I remember clearly, like if it was now, the moment when the teams, they, they entered into the field and there was this stadium completely red, super full of uh, local supporters, and there was this giant line composed by the local supporter. It was, again, 1966. I remember, yeah. It was the, like only time, the only time in history that South Koreans were like backing, <laughs> exactly. were considering a brotherhood with North Korea. The only fucking time in history. Against this was, uh, yeah, this was amazing. I remember it was really, it was huge, really huge. And it was like, I didn't know about 1966. I was explained, you know, by my uh, grandfather was there. But when, it, when I saw this, it was really like uh, intimidating, I have to say. Mm. I would never expect that I could be intimidated by by South Korean supporters, but this was really like all red. This again, 1966. It was a it was a shock. Well, spoiler alert. Well, South Korea would keep going in the World Cup, and I remember in the semifinal against the Germany, they had swastika banners. <laughs> they, they were man. South Korean fans went a tiny bit too far in that World Cup. Do you remember the Zvastikas against Germany? You don't remember that? Yeah, I remember, I remember. You've just triggered a memory that I'd completely forgotten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything was permitted. Everything was permitted during those those games. (laughs) During that World Cup, everything was was legit for them. (laughs) But later on, Trapattoni would say, because here comes the real protagonist of this story, that referee Byron Moreno from Ecuador shook the hands of all South Korean players before the game, but refused to do so with the Italian players. Did he know what would happen? Most likely. But so, national anthems, we are ready. Knockout stage. Italy, one of the biggest uh, national teams in the world, one of the most important ones, of the most victorious ones, take on South Korea away from home in the South Korean den. The game starts off at extremely high intensity. And Luca, See, what happens right away? See, uh, this thing of the of the ref, of course, we, we will talk about him. Uh, it was it was really funny because I remember that after the, the two games in the group, I remember that uh, Fiji Chi basically is our institution for football. They said like, 
for the eight finals send someone you know like with an international experience and they say and fifa sent byron moreno <laughs> as a as a response fifa sent byron moreno this was already <laughs> amazing to begin with and i remember i remember his face i don't know why but the camera were always of course uh, it, it, it's been face. dreamt about that fucking face for so long <laughs> i remember face, it clearly exactly exactly it was like a horror movie it was like always the same in every situation in every moment of the game he was always the same he never looked tired or you know hungry or uh, disturbed by something always the same face it was really like a nightmare was <laughs> you could not even talk to him because he was always the same and uh, and of course as i said the game starts the intensity is amazing and uh, just to begin with i remember first I think it was minute number two or three, something like that. First fall. Fourth, fourth minute. Fourth four minute. minute. Coco, first fall, immediately yellow card. Immediately yellow card. Ball in the middle, penalty immediately. After, you know, you know what? Not even one second of hesitation. Penalty in the middle, penalty. Uh, sorry, ball in the middle, penalty. Yellow. And if you if you check the highlights, it was not a penalty. It was Never. not. I mean, it was, yeah, exactly. Never it was one of those moments that you, that you have, uh, especially with Italy, you have... Uh, phases of game like this like 10 10 times uh, per game so penalty so, penalty but who is in penalty, goal for but, of course, Italy I said exactly of course we said our team was amazing we had Gianluigi Buffon he was in a in a super moment he, he denies it was Anne Anne remember this name Anne taking the penalty because uh, we were already talking another episode about him we talked about play. him in, a, in the last yeah. time you were on right <laughs> <laughs> He used to play for Perugia. He knew Italian players very well. He takes the penalty, but Buffon saves. So you can imagine after four minutes, you're just like, what the fuck is going on? The referee gave away a penalty. We saved it. Come on. We needed to score. And yeah, we managed. And, we managed. And, and I remember that yeah, after that, Italy, the shock was, was huge. But after that, uh, more or less, we, we, we react. I remember that we, we don't play... That good, but uh, there is uh, Vieri again scoring uh, on, a, on a corner kick. Uh, and I remember, this is another thing I remember, uh, he scores and, uh, and he shuts up the, all, the, all, the, all the Korean supporters. This was amazing with everyone like... Grande. Yeah, with his finger one, in front of his nose. Yeah. Exactly, with his finger. 1-0, you know, uh, the, the feeling was like, yeah, it will be tough, but we can do it. You know, 1-0 now, you know, Italy, 1-0, then we wait a bit. And then when we have another chance, we, we can score and, uh, and we will go on like this. The thing but, is that, again, the, the game was, um, if you see all the old Korean games, they were all the same. I mean, um, everything was uh, was legit for them. So every fall, every, you know, um, Byron Moreno was, was, not, uh, was never stopping the game. You know, mm-hmm. so again, if you lose your mind in a in a, in a game like this, and we, I think we had the right players to 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 be to be trapped by by this situation because we had Mark Giuliano, Gattuso, Delivio, uh, Coco. All these players were very very easily could, could get a yeah exactly triggered could get a yellow card or red card very very easily. So we were not uh, we were not smart. And I remember, this is one thing that I remember clearly. So sometimes you watch a football game and you're super nervous. I'm thinking about when I watch Inter Milan or when I watch an important Italy game, like the European Championship final, which Italy won against England. 
this summer, just because we had to say it. But when I watch these games, I'm so emotionally invested that then when I see the players, they can perform, I say, wow, there is really a difference between the way I perceive it and the the state of mind of these players who are super cool and they can perform. That was the one game that I've seen in my life where the players were carrying the emotions of an entire nation on the pitch. I remember everybody was nervous. The refereeing calls were extremely controversial. It felt like any foul on Italy wouldn't be called, but you you just simply needed to put your hand on the shirt of a Korean player and you risked a yellow card. So the tension already was growing steadily throughout the first half, despite us winning 1-0. Si. Do, you, do you recall this, Luca? Emma, can, si, si, can you of relate? course, it was, it was really tense and you could really have the... There was always like the, the feeling that something was going to happen. Uh, so you, you, it was really like... There were no really dangers, but like uh, every moment could be like the, the decisive one. Of course, you know, in a game like this, when it's 1-0, you don't score the second one. Um, Italy you're was pl- there. Yeah. You're playing in Korea, against Korea. So it's si. it's all... Part of that. It's difficult. It's difficult. And then uh... the, the second half starts, and I remember that in the second half it was not a football game anymore. It was. It went beyond. It just. War. It was exactly. not football. Yeah, it, was war. it was war. Everything was uh, was permitted. I remember, like um, there there was like it was, I can't remember the name, but like we had like several players injured. Yeah, really Fran- so I'm reading from Wikipedia. Francesco Coco would end up the game with a, a concussion. Gianluca Zambrotta uh, would be injured uh, after that game because he, he received a, an awful tackle. Del Piero, I remember this clearly. As the game was stopped, Del Piero received an elbow on his face by a Korean player, and this was not addressed by anybody. And finally, Paolo Maldini, I remember this too. Mm. He got kicked in the face with the ball way over to the other side of the pitch. And again, this was not sanctioned. But there was this difference that any time an Italian just like shouldered a Korean player, that would be a free kick for Korea. It was it was war. Yeah, I remember that it wasn't a football game war. anymore. Exactly. See, see, see. It was war. And uh, but you know. Uh, the, the thing is that this was a good team. So even if uh, all these things we mentioned, we arrived to the very end of the game because we we resist. Mm-hmm. We arrived at the very end of the game, and we missed they, we missed like, a few chances too. We missed few chances to to to, to close the game to be two zero, and then at minute eighty seven, I remember Seoul so uh, scoring, um, and this again we have to mention this is our mistake. Because if mm-hmm. you see the Panucci, Panucci mistake, it was, uh, was really bad. Um, it, it basically was a gift. It was mm-hmm. a gift. So, 1-1. One, one. And I have to be honest, when I remember when they scored 1-1, one, one, I don't know why, but, you know, I had the feeling that this was the, this was the goal that we that- wouldn't make it. That yeah. yeah, sentence does to to so that's not the chance going they needed though, isn't it? I think that's exactly. the chance they needed the to only... be like we're back in the game now. See, right, let's see. go. Like yeah, see, yeah. see, see. So with with the one one, um, I don't know. The feeling was not. I was not feeling comfortable. Of course, there was no Byron Moreno uh, mistake. Eh? This was our mistake. We have to mention it because uh, being yeah. a bit more focused, I think we could have won the the game. 
Yeah, but that's the thing. Seven. That's that's the thing. It's like in the end, and I'm just going to mention that I watched a very good Netflix special called Bad Sport, and there is one episode about the Calciopoli scandal in Italy. And what Moji argues, he was the Juventus sporting director. He says the message that he tries to deliver, which is nonsense to me, is that number one, everybody was fixing games in Italy, and number two, he said. The decision of a referee to give a yellow card to somebody is not going to influence the game. I kind of want, I kind of get what he says in a very slimy way, which is Byron Moreno did not allow a goal that was offside, for example, but he created the perfect atmosphere mm-hmm. for South Korea to win that game. Um, we were mentioning off mic, Luca, you want to you talk about the Trapattoni's reactions to some of the fouls? See, because now we go, so we go to extra time. And this is uh, where, where everything happens because, you know, extra time. So we, if we were nervous before, imagine being extra time and there was, again, this golden goal. Uh, bullshit. bullshit <laughs> what do you yeah, call it? Exactly. Golden, golden goal, goal bullshit. bullshit. Okay. And, uh, and, yeah, during the extra time, uh, now we have to talk about the, the two main characters of our story, which are Byron Moreno, <laughs> Byron Moreno and Giovanni Trapattoni. Because... Byron Moreno does uh, there in the in the in the extra time he does everything. I remember he is allowed a goal completely regular uh, for, for uh, Tommasi. Scored score by Tommasi. Then there was this situation that there could be a penalty for Italy, but even if it's not a penalty, don't give the yellow card for simulation. He gives yellow card to Totti, so red. Uh, it was the second one, and then it is a red card. And that's and, the moment, going back to the beginning, when a man sitting at the bar where I was watching the game drank his grappa and absolutely pitched the glass towards the wall and it shattered. And in that moment, I remember oh, my dad getting me and my sister like this, like, okay, boys, okay, boy and girl, we're going to stay here all together. Don't worry. Everything is going to be fine. That yeah, that second yellow on Totti was harsh to see, very harsh. See, this, this was really like ridiculous. And, uh, you know, it was really, it was really bad. It was really like a pain because every moment there was, every minute was passing. There was like the, the feeling that it was going worse and worse and worse. During all these things that we said, Giovanni Trapattoni, which was our uh, coach, you know, Giovanni Trapattoni is, uh, is a legend. Uh, even at an international level, he won uh, 23 trophies, imagine, during his life. 20 feet. He, he, at an international level, he is, I think, he's still like, for sure, he's in the top 10 of the, of mm-hmm. the coaches who won most 100%, trophies. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, Trapattoni is like a father for us. He's like the, the, the man that everyone loves. And uh, also because his reactions, you know, he's very like, he's like uh, typical. And during all, during all the game, he was with this little bottle of Aqua Santa, you know, from Medjugorje. Or from uh, from Lourdes, he was oh, because he's very religious. And a he was, bottle uh, of he was, holy yeah. water. He had a bottle exactly, of holy water. <laughs> and he was and he was praying this holy water everywhere because he's very like religious and uh, <laughs> and, he, and he really believes in this. This was amazing. And I remember that after the the yellow, the second yellow card to Totti, there was this behind the bench. There was this um, plexiglass separating the the, the, the bench. Yeah, the exactly. bench. Exactly. And there were some FIFA representative. Uh, there and Trapattoni was completely furious before he kicked like some bottle of water and they, they into the field imagine and then he went to the plexiglass and he started like to punch it like oh, oh you see what is happening and I remember the 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 
this, the, FIFA, uh, the FIFA representatives. Yeah, the FIFA representative doing like this, like man, opening their arms and being like, "There's we nothing can't. we can do." <laughs> we've already so, yeah. fixed. We've already fixed the game. It's too late now. It's it's, it's too, too late. late to See, yeah, back. this was the, and and it was really like in that moment. I remember uh, we still had another chance. We still had another chance. We got two, so unbelievable chance. The the goalkeeper was was very good. But just to mention that again, uh, as said, Moreno, whatever you want. But we had the chances to close the game. We had many mm -hmm. chances True. to to win. We had many chances. We were just so nervous. And not uh, and, and imprecise, and we were not uh, we were not smart enough to to be quiet and and uh, and, and play with the ball. I think because doing Korean game, uh, playing like they played, uh, we were not uh, at their level. And also there was Byron Moreno, and here we go to the to the golden goal, which by the way is another big mistake if you check by Maldini. This is a mm -hmm. big, big mistake by Paolo Maldini that in that period he was not even letting pass his mother. So uh, <laughs> imagine, imagine uh, being, you know, being against uh, Ann, Ann, Ann mm -hmm. scored uh, golden goal. Uh, it was, a, it was, a, it was a good goal, eh, to be honest. But uh, there is another big mistake from, from us. But so, well, well, I feel like the. But I feel like those mistakes happen when you're in this game where you feel like, or you can see that everything's going against you. You're it must be very difficult to concentrate and be like, right, okay, come on, game face. When you've just seen like all this madness around you, I think you can kind of it, like, like Tommy said about creating the atmosphere for all of this to happen. Like, yeah, you set the stage, and also I remember uh, Paolo Maldini, of course, probably the greatest defender Italy has ever seen, together with Baresi and the the, the likes. But mm -hmm. Maldini also had a mistake in the goal that uh, that uh, France equalized with in the 2000 uh, European Championship in the final against mm -hmm. France. We were up 1-0 and then Maldini made a little mistake, the one mistake that he made in the entire competition and France would draw the game and eventually win it. But Luca, the question is, did Han celebrate? Because he used to play in Italy, right? He knew everybody who was on the pitch. Did he enjoy that moment? Did he oh, celebrate man. in a contained way? Or what did he I, do? I think... It, it, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was playing, said in the other episode, he was playing in Italy. It was uh, basically... He, he lost over, his job because of that goal. He lost his he lost his job. He ruined his career because of this. But uh, you can imagine, you, you score a golden goal in a World Cup against Italy. Uh, in front of your fans. Everyone went crazy there. Uh, I remember. Yeah, that, no, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I need to jump in. You can't say he over celebrated. He's just scored a winner in an extra time. Like no, it doesn't matter the, where he plays. It doesn't matter what country he plays in. You'd go mad. Like, of, of course. course but also, See. but also, it's very the the Italian reaction to that is very Italian. Like you fucking celebrated against us. We're gonna fire you now. <laughs> you piece yeah, of shit. I think the, only the Italians would expect to be like, hey. You work in our country, don't celebrate. Like only the Italians <laughs> would react that way. <laughs> but it was it was it was crazy. And I remember Maldini's face, but I don't know how to explain it, but I was I was expecting that goal. You know? Mm -hmm. yeah. When you suffer, 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 and you're just waiting for the end. You're just like, okay, enough. Whatever. Mm -hmm. Whatever. And this will and this is what happened. And I remember golden goal, and I remember our voice, Bruno Pizzo, is like, okay, done. We are home. È tutto finito, è tutto yeah, finito. 
Yeah, and, I remember uh, we were talking about this commentator yeah. earlier, and I remember he had he was very good with words, like he spoke perfect Italian with a perfect diction and everything. And at a point, he wanted to probably say, "Fuck this referee, this game is <laughs> fixed," and he went, "Questo è proprio brutto da vedere." It's really ugly to see, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. Again, he didn't really take any side. He just said, "This is awful to see," but. Italy are out, and I remember Italy. This is another clear memory that it looked like I don't know the, the the aftermath of a World War II battle. Like the players were like limping towards the referee to to argue with him. There was Coco with this big like headband on his head and like blood like leaking through. Uh, people who couldn't walk, people who were screaming. Trapattoni, one of the chillest men on earth, being carried away by his assistants. It was absolute madness. Mm. Um, See, there was a, there was a bit of everything, but also I remember immediately you had the feeling, even um, in Italy, in Milan, that this was like something like uh, really an event to remember. You know, a day to remember. Mm. You you could really see that from that moment we would talk about uh, Korea and Men Moreno and 2002 for like for ages, forever, forever. Mm. Everyone was talking about this. The TG. Uh, the news, the fucking newspapers, every for hours, for days, for weeks, everything. I remember the whole World Cup. Basically, we, you know, there are other games. There is the final. There is everything. Nothing. It was just this, this, this. And mm-hmm. still now, still now, the word Korea. If you mention Korea in Italy, ninety percent of the people they they talk about Byron Moreno. They they don't know mm-hmm. about you know. War yeah, fuck squid, or... fuck squid Game. It's all about Byron exactly. Moreno. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this was something like really, really, really huge. I remember even at school we were at the Scuole Medie. Even mm-hmm. like female professors were were mentioning this. So ima- imagine it was really like something like. <laughs> uh, I remember. Guys, yeah. I remember a classmate of mine in middle school. Um, his name was Paolo. He is Paolo. I believe he's still alive. And uh, he he had kind of like Asian-looking eyes, and uh, but he was 100% Italian. And the joke would go on for three years that he was actually an undercover Korean at our school, which was – he was a guy with a great sense of humor, but it was just like, he's welcome Korean. To Italy. Welcome yeah, to Italy. welcome to Italy, right? Racism <laughs> since an early age. but. Guys, I really recommend you go online, you type on YouTube, Korea Scandal uh, 2002, and you will find a video with the soundtrack from Requiem for a Dream, which is one of the grimmest movies I've ever seen. Two, 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 two. That talks about all, yeah. That talks about all of the refereeing scandals at the World Cup 2002, because then they happened again against Spain in the quarterfinals. Mm -hmm. So in in this clip, you see everything that happened against Portugal, against Italy, and against Spain. And if you started this video with the benefit of the doubt, I can guarantee you that you will finish watching it, saying this was all fixed. And in fact, in 2015. Thank you, America. The FBI, together with the, with another American department, they investigated over what FIFA had done over the years, and they 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 basically confirmed that Korea had been highly favored in this tournament to go until the semifinal, where they met Germany, and the Germans don't fall for that shit. They beat them one nil, one to the final. Yes, Rory. So I'm going to put us all on the spot here and say, so now we know that match fixing has happened within FIFA and the World Cup. What do we think the odds are? Where are Qatar going to get in the next World Cup? 
Qatar. Um, Qatar, third, fourth place playoff, semi-finalist. What do we think? I think for sure they will pass the group. Yeah, yeah, sure. uh, yeah, yeah. undoubtedly. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that Italy are going to be in the same group as Qatar. That would be fun. That's the thing. Uh, it would be a nightmare <laughs> to no, not 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 to face them in the in the group, but to pass the group and to face them in the knockout round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's scary. <laughs> this, <laughs> this I, I I can already imagine. Eh? I can already imagine Italy Qatar in. Uh, finance or something like that yeah but I, I just wanted to say one last thing about this um before we say goodbye to you and we jump to the quiz i just want to say that uh, european championship 2000 we lose at the we france draw at the very last minute in regular time and then we lose at the golden goal 2002 we lose against a korea that was fixing pretty much every game that they were playing 2004 <laughs> We had that group, horrible European Championship. We got out of the group stage with a, a Totti spitting on Paulson's face. I think that these three experiences really fueled all those players in 2006 to the final World Cup victory. They were like, we're sick of this shit. Like, let's fucking play football. Let's play the way we know it. Let's fucking get this cup and fuck off. For but you have to believe that it's all for something, right? Exactly. You have to believe that it's all for something. <laughs> it's, Otherwise, uh, it's, it's three history, wasted yeah. tournaments. <laughs> it's in our history to do shit, completely shit, 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 and then to win. So <laughs> it's true. Uh, it's true. You miss on the World Cup and then you win the Euros. Yeah. Try your history being to just be shit consistently. Try that being <laughs> your history. You don't win, you're just shit. <laughs> but just to, just to conclude, uh, our friend Byron Moreno, because the story is very long, mm -hmm. Uh, Byron Moreno, his career is uh, amazing because if you see what, what he did after this, this is nothing compared to what he did after because we have plenty of uh, of moments, you know, we have a lot of moments where uh, where, he, where he basically did whatever he wanted. So uh, as we know, he was uh, he was famous also. With, he, he was the ref in the championship match between uh, Liga de Quito and Barcelona Sporting Club. In Ecuador, in, yeah. In Ecuador, yeah, in his country. And imagine that in that game, he gave 13 minutes of extra time <laughs> in order to in order to let in order to let the team scoring the the necessary goal. And after that, he was uh, I think he was suspended forever for, for 20 matches. Yeah, for 20 for matches. 20 matches. And this is amazing. Imagine after this, because he was such a star. He was a star. Everyone knows him. He was invited in Italy in a TV show, which is Ballando con le stelle. Ballando sotto le stelle. I don't remember. Oh, the name. Dancing with the Stars. I exactly. He was invited there. You can find you can find in YouTube uh, to dance to be there just because he was so famous that everyone, you know, imagine in Italy the ignorance in, because we, they knew that with him there the share would have been like uh, over the high. top, yeah. over the top, super high. So they invited him. And, uh, and he was basically dancing or doing uh, stupid stuff, you know, stupid games and uh, and this. And then we we end up with the with the with the jewel of 2010. The cherry uh, on top of the cake. Exactly, the the very best moment. Uh, he was arrested. He was arrested <laughs> because he was trying to <laughs> to enter the United the U.S. with the uh, with six kilos of of heroin. Uh, <laughs> 
under his body, under, under the jacket or something like that. So imagine the, the level of, but this, of just ignorance. Tells you, this just tells you about the character. After you do fuck all Easy. at a World Cup, you don't understand that probably you should stop getting like bribes and shit. Keep your head low you, for a bit. Keep, keep no, your low profile. No, right away. He goes back oh, to Ecuador, oh. fixes matches, and then he's oh. like, oh, I'm banned from football. Let's try with hard drugs in the United States. Like the one country. And it's not any drug and any country. It's fucking heroin in the United States of America. (laughs) Uh, He was sentenced to jail and he would end up being released uh, almost one year later. uh, No, actually, uh, he served 26 months in prison and then he returned to Ecuador. Um, That's the story, ladies and gentlemen, of the big Byron Moreno scandal uh, uh, during Italy-Korea at the 2002 World Cup. Rory and Luca, anything to add before we jump to the quiz? Uh, Just one last thing. I live in Spain, so... Uh, I had the chance to, to talk, you know, with Spanish people about Byron Moreno because I uh, said uh, during the quarterfinals there was something, for, I think, even worse than mm-hmm. what happened to Italy. And yeah, Byron Moreno, they know, but there's not the same uh, level mm-hmm. of uh, of persecution, you know. In Italy, really, Byron Moreno is, uh, I think, as, as famous as the Pope. Absolutely. <laughs> here, here, <laughs> here, here, not as much, but but uh, but yeah. For us, it was really like a name that I will, uh, I think, even if I will have Alzheimer, uh, uh, the <laughs> you'll forget of my your life, kids' names, but the remember thing, Exactly. The last thing I, I will forget is his name or the face. What about you, Rory? Anything else to wrap this up? Well, I think it's something that we've talked about before. Italians love a football conspiracy theory, so it doesn't surprise me that, that you know, like he's more of a public enemy number one in Italy than in Spain. But I just enjoyed looking back on this tournament, despite it being a pretty grim game. I think um, it was the first tournament that I really, really enjoyed, 2002. I thought it was a great tournament. And uh, awesome. even if England did go out, it was, a, it, was a, it was a really, really great tournament. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Luca. We will catch up with you in November for another special episode about Italian football history. Thank you for being with us, man. Thank you, guys. Always a pleasure. Ciao. Well, there we go, Tommy. I hope you have managed to calm down by um, calm down from the 2002 World Cup. Do you reckon you've calmed down yet? Are you over it yet? No, I'm actually uh, going back to it really stirred up some old memories <laughs> once again. And the face of the referee, Byron Moreno, you can just type his name on Google. You can find him. He just winds me up automatically. And I feel, well, you've heard it already, but I feel extremely bad for Trapattoni because I, I think mm. Trapattoni deserved to do well in an international competition with Italy. But whatever, that's the way it went down. At you least right some, now. You lose some, especially yeah. when FIFA are involved. Yeah. yeah, 20 years later, we look back at it. Well, we were able to look back at it with a smile on our face, ready to share some banter with our listeners. But Rory, it's time for the quiz, and you decided to, to go really hard on yourself. Do you want to remind our listeners what's the topic you've chosen? I've made many terrible decisions in my life, but a few of them have been over the past couple of weeks and the topics I have chosen to test myself on. This week, it is the championship. The 
the championship rory so doing research on this gave me a headache two minutes into it so the right now it's called the sky bat championship all right mm-hmm. but before it was called the league one football football first division first division then it was called yeah. the second division and so yeah. i was like rory look my questions i i've worded them perfectly at least i hope but uh, I'm going to specify, especially when we're talking about the Skybet Championship that started in 2004. Before starting to record the episode, I did warn Rory. I said, Rory, if I were you, I would take two minutes because the questions are very surface, but they're, they seem, at least to me, they seem very tough. Rory, have you listened to my advice or not? Um, I had a quick meditation session on the championship, tried to gather the information that I know in the back of my brain. I feel like I could try and win this season by being like sensible, but I'm trying to score like a backheel goal all the time by picking ridiculous topics. I don't know. So we'll see. I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready. The score is currently Rory 13, Tommaso 10. Uh, Rory, I propose that we get to 20 and then we change the quiz. What do you think? On air first, admin. I like it. Yeah, let's do it. First player who gets to 20 points is the winner. All right, Rory, are you ready to start? Well, it's time for me to get all seven right and end this game then, right? All seven right. So one <laughs> minute of time, seven questions about the Skybet Championship in England. We are going to start in three, two, one. Go. On the year of its start in 2004-2005, only three European leagues had a higher total attendance than the Skybet Championship. Can you name these three leagues? Premier League, La Liga, Serie A. Wrong. Five clubs have won the two championships since 2004. Can you name three? Two, two, two. Okay. Norwich, Reading, Newcastle? Yes, correct. Oh! Which team celebrated their 1,000th win in second-level league football in January 2011? Um, Preston. Wrong. In 2016 and in 2017, the championship top goal scorers were not European players. Can you guess one of the two countries of origin? Venezuela. Wrong. Which of these teams is currently not in the championship? Peterborough United, Rotherham United, Preston North End. Rotherham. Correct. Which of these players has recorded a higher goal tally in a single championship season? Ivan Toney, Glenn Murray or Daryl Murphy? Glenn Murray. Wrong. Which manager, still active by the way, detains the record for most manager of the month awards since 2004 in the championship? Neil Warnock. Correct. You get three points, Rory. Holy fucking shit. This is impressive, Rory. Good job. Oh, I feel like a a weight has been lifted off my shoulders. I feel like I did all right there. I'm still a bit annoyed about one or two of them, but yeah, yeah. All right, 16, Rory, Tommy still at 10, but let's go through the answers again. On the year of its start in 2004-2005, only three European leagues had a higher total attendance than the Skybet Championship. Can you name them? So, the Skybet Championship had 9.8 million total Mm. spectators, behind only 
Premier League, La Liga, and Bundesliga. Bundesliga. The second I said Serie A, I was like, that's just our pod bias. That's just no, no, no. And Serie A is known for very low yeah. attendance, especially, yeah, low attendance at games. Five clubs have won two championships, uh, championships since 2004. Can you name three? You are correct. Newcastle, Norwich City, Reading, Sunderland, and Wolverhampton as well. Yeah, I wouldn't have got the other two. No way I would have got the other two. Okay, which team celebrated their 1,000th win in second level league (laughs) football in January 2011? In January 2011, they did so with a 2-1 win at home versus Coventry. Can you guess who they are? I'm trying to think of the team that's always been in the championship. Um, It's it's actually the team with the most uh, championship appearances Derby. It's Barnsley. Oh, Barnsley. Thank God, right. In 2016 and in 2017, the championship top goal scorers were not European players. Can you guess one of the two countries of origin? We are talking about Andre Gray for Burnley, who scored 25 from Jamaica, and Chris Mm. Wood for Leeds United, who scored 27. Do you remember where he was from? He's from New Zealand, right? New Zealand. I was very surprised to see that. I want to explain my Venezuela answer. I was going for Salomon Rondon. <laughs> I don't want to just like Venezuela was. It just picked out the air. Yeah, yeah. Which of these teams is currently not in the championship? You were right, Rory. It's Rotherham United. They were relegated last season, while Peterborough United and Preston North End are both currently mm-hmm. in the championship. Which of these players has recorded a higher goal tally in a single championship season? It was even Tony for Brentford in twenty twenty. Obvious one. I should have gone for the obvious one. In 2020, yeah. 2021, which was last season, he recorded thirty one goals, which was a Shit. record since two thousand four. Glenn Murray scored thirty for Crystal Palace mm. in 2012-2013. and Daryl Mur- Murphy scored twenty seven for Ipswich Town in 2014-2015. And finally, holy shit, you went, you you were like, I'm not going to guess this one, but you did. Which manager still active detains the record for most manager of the month awards since 2004? It was Neil Warnock with 11. How did you come up with this name? Well, I think the um, the fact that he's basically Warnock. What he does is he gets teams promoted, then gets fired within two months of being in the Premier League. So I think he's always in the Championship. Um, so therefore, just law of odds. I think. Um, plus, he's you know he's a pretty good manager at that level, Neil Warnock. Yeah, he does all right. Beautiful. Good job, Rory. You're leading currently the standings at 16. I'm still at 10. My topic for next week is going to be Champions League, man. It's going to be the Champions League from uh, when it became the Champions League. So I believe in 1992 or something. (laughs) That's not a good start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe. Yeah, no, I believe because before it was the Champions Cup and then it became the Champions League. But beautiful. Guys, I have nothing more to tell you except that you can follow us on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod. You can follow us on Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod. And you should also follow our sponsor at Sports Club Maps, both on Twitter and on Instagram. Guys, these months have been very, very busy, especially with work for us teachers. It's kind of difficult to get back into the working schedule and everything. Mm -hmm. But don't worry. We are trying to be more on top of our shit. But follow all of our accounts, our sponsors. 
we're going to give uh we're going to do more giveaways we're going to do more thanks so just stay tuned and all these beauties are going to come your way i'm going to leave it to rory to send you off with our customary quote thank you very much so i'll quote this week ahead of the derby d'italia we have bonucci has said that inter won the scudetto simply because juve were less competitive than usual well Arturo Vidal has clapped back and said, we face off on Sunday night. Let's see who's actually the stronger team. Enjoy your weekend, guys.